Have you ever <clears throat> been in search for something? Maybe it's something you lost, car keys, kids, maybe it's your favorite toy, maybe it was your wallet, maybe it was a destination that you were searching for, your search to find your way to somewhere that you have never been. Maybe you were in search of someone. Think about what your, your motive or your intentions were for these searches. If it was your lost keys, it may have simply been because you needed to get to work. If it was a search for a destination, maybe it's because you wanted to attend this event. This morning, we're gonna, we come to a passage in which is very familiar to many of us, a, a very familiar Christmas story in which we have a search going on, a search for a king. There are two search parties searching for the king, but these two though they are searching for the same thing, have two completely different motives for searching for him. Our passage this morning as we begin the Advent season is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So if you're not there already, feel free to turn there as we'll be taking this passage verse by verse and seeing what it has to say. But as we begin, I want to take this passage in its larger context at first and see what already has happened in the book of Matthew. And as, as we looked at, uh, with the children for the Advent lesson, we saw that Matthew begins his gospel by introducing us to Jesus, by giving a genealogy, showing Jesus' many ancestors and showing many of his relatives that belonged to the nation of Israel. And even more so, he belonged to the line of David. God worked through this people, Israel, in a very special way. He delivered them. He protected them. He saved them. And we can see that through the whole of the Old Testament. Then Matthew gives an account of the news of Jesus' birth coming to Joseph, Mary's soon-to-be husband. Within it, and we see this in chapter 1 right at the end, within it, he's told great things about this child. He's told that Mary, who was a virgin, would conceive by the Holy Spirit. And we're told the name of this child, what the name should be, Jesus, as he will save people from their sins. So surely Joseph is expecting a very special and unique child, as we can see at the very end of chapter 1. So in our text this morning, Matthew continues this story after Jesus has been born with another one of these events, or one of these stories that took place around the time when Jesus was born. This story begins a a bit differently in that we have new characters and even somewhat unexpected characters. As I've already said, two searches are going on for a king. So what I want to do this morning through this passage is I want to trace these searches through them and look at these two searches and discover why these people are searching for this king, what really lies behind their search. And then we will circle around to us and think about what this very well-known in common story, this Christmas story has to do with us today. So let's begin with verse 1 as we trace this search throughout the passage. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2 reads, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So we're given the setting first. First we're given when, when this takes place, and it takes place right after or sometime after Mary had given birth to Jesus. 
We get more of the details concerning his birth in Luke's Gospel account, but here we have a story happening sometime after the birth of Jesus. And we're also told that this story is taking place in the reign of Herod, who is the current king of Jerusalem. He will become very important in our story soon. So here we get our first search party, and they are the ones that start the search. Wise men from the east, or another common name that you may have heard them is Magi. We're not told how many there are, but we can assume that there were others traveling with them as well. So it's common that we're told that there are three wise men or three magi. In the Bible, we are not told. They brought three gifts, so maybe that can mean there's three wise men, but we're really not told for sure. But we can assume that there, even if there was only three wise men, there was probably others traveling with them as well. As they brought very costly gifts, as they traveled, as we're going to see, many miles, so there was probably others traveling with them, servants, people to protect them as well. So wise men come from the east. Where exactly these wise men are from, again, is not given in our text. It could have been Babylon, as Babylon and also Persia are found to the east. As this was where wise men or magi were common titles, and also, as we're going to see, there's a star that appears in astrology or astronomy are, were very popular in both Babylon and Persia. If they were from Babylon, interestingly, or an interesting fact is that their journey would have been 800 to 900 miles long. So this traveling, this journey that they took would have been 800 to 900 miles long if they came from Babylon. So taking them several weeks or even months to get to Jerusalem, to get to their final destination for this search. So some clues within the passage hint at more precise details concerning where they are exactly from. But either way, we can take from this that wise men come from the east, these foreigners come in search to Jerusalem. And we're left to wonder, why did these men travel hundreds and hundreds of miles to Jerusalem? What would have brought them on such a trek? The next verse tells us. The wise men question in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the wise men are searching for a king, and more specifically the king of Israel who had just been born. This is why the wise men made the journey to Jerusalem. Jerusalem at that time was the capital city. It was the capital city of Israel. So back in the Old Testament, starting with David, this was the capital city. So hearing that a king of the Jews or a king of Israel had been born, it would have been the common and the natural thing to go to Jerusalem looking for this king. So that's what, exactly what these wise men are doing. That's why they choose to go to Jerusalem. And then we have the wise men. They state why they have stated why they made the journey and then they go on to say how this came about and what their purpose was. As we see again in verse 2, it reads, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So that's why they made the journey. And then we get the how and why. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So immediately the question comes to our mind, how did they come to make this journey to search for the king of the Jews? And we're told the wise men say that they saw his star when it rose. So the star is what caused them to make the journey. What was this star? Many ask, was this a natural phenomenon? So just a star that was already in the sky, maybe planets aligning, 
or was this a supernatural event that God had caused just to lead the wise men to the king of the Jews? And again, as the other questions we've asked, the text does not answer this. Some believe, though, that this could have been a comet or it could have been planets aligning. And some scholars have even done some studies seeing uh, comets that had come around that same time as Jesus is believed to be born. But at the same time, I tend to lean upon this being a supernatural event that has been caused by God to lead the wise men to the king of the Jews. As later in the story, we see this star that they followed moves to the exact place where the king of the Jews, or Jesus, was living. The end of the line is that we are told, not told what exactly the star was. We are to see that it was used by God to lead the wise men to the king of the Jews. Another question regarding the star in their search is, how did they put two and two together? How did they know that this star meant that the king of the Jews had been born? Again, we're not told in the text. We're given minimal detail, but one scripture passage, you don't have to turn to it, as I'll just read the one verse, is Numbers 24, 17. It reads, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So Numbers 24, 17 is a passage that would have been very familiar to the Israelites. And this passage was not spoken, or this prophecy was not spoken by an Israelite, but it was spoken by one who would have lived in the same area in the east as the wise men did hundreds of years before. And many of us know who this is, Balaam. Balaam, the prophet, had been called in the book of Numbers. We have this recording. He had been called by Balak, who was a king, to curse Israel. But Balaam spoke for God and continued to bless Israel instead. So this prophecy was believed to speak of the Messiah. So throughout the history of Israel, this prophecy, as it says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This was a common prophecy that was understood as speaking about the Messiah or the promised one of God, the long-awaited future deliverer of Israel by the Jews. So how exactly the wise men came across getting this prophecy and fully understanding it again is not told, but if we go back and think about the wise men possibly being from Babylon or Persia, there's a possibility that they understood this prophecy and learned about this prophecy of this star coming and this king being born, this deliverer of Israel, through the returned exiles of Israel. As the, the Israelites, the, the people of Judah had been exiled to Babylon, and possibly if the wise men were from there, that's how they came across this prophecy and understood it this way. But again, our text does not say so. In, Verses 1 and 2, a lot of questions remain in that we're just not given the details. It was not Matthew's focus to answer these questions. Where exactly the wise men were from? What exactly is this star? How did the wise men know this star meant the king of the Jews had been born? Overall, we're not told. But what we are to see and to emphasize is that they made the journey. Their purpose was to worship, and God had provided this star to guide them in the search. So there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that could be made, and I gave a few options, but really what we are to emphasize is what we're given in the text. The details of their journey, their worship, and God using the star to guide them. 
So we have our first search party for the king. I said there'd be two. The next one is coming, but we see this first search party is a group of wise men, foreigners from the east who have come led by a supernatural star for the sole purpose of bringing honor and praise to the king of the Jews. We come to our second search party. The wise men remain a part of the story, but the focus shifts to someone else. And this second search party is the current king at the time. The current king looking for someone who is claimed also to be king. And we can only imagine, or we can imagine, how this is going to end. Look with me at verse 4. Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, it reads, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. So Herod catches wind of this search party and who they are looking for, and we get his response. But first, some history and background should be given concerning this current king, King Herod. Now, you'd imagine any king would feel threatened if someone else shows up claiming to be the true king over the land in which they ruled. But this King Herod, who's in our passage this morning, was known for feeling threatened. History tells us that King Herod, also known as Herod the Great, was given the reign over Jerusalem by Rome. So he reigned in Jerusalem, and he was, of, he was also known as Herod the Great. He had been given the title by Rome. His title was given the King of the Jews, which should sound familiar to us from our passage this morning. And he claimed to be part of the Jewish religion. He made repairs to the Jewish temple, Yet, among the Jews, he was very disliked. He dealt with a great amount of pushback from the Jewish nation all throughout his reign, especially in the beginning of his reign. So Herod the Great, the king at the time, was a very paranoid man, especially towards the end of his life, which would have been right around the time that Jesus had been born. He killed three of his sons, one only just five days before King Herod was or died himself. So with that history in mind, and with the news of someone being claimed to be the king of the Jews, which was Herod's title already, just born in a Jewish city, this would have set Herod on edge. Again in verse 4, this is exactly what our verse tells us. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And this word troubled doesn't just mean that he was worried or a little distressed, but this word troubled means that he was absolutely terrified. He was scared for his life. Herod was in turmoil and greatly agitated by the news of a king being born. This fits right in with his other paranoid reactions, as we can say, see from earlier in his life. Herod's reaction is also interesting. As I said, he would have claimed to be a Jew. He would have claimed to be part of the Jewish religion. Yet his response is nothing like what you'd expect. You'd expect a Jew hearing that the true king of the Jews had been born. You'd expect... Herod to rejoice, he'd be at peace, yet we see his response is completely the opposite. He is terrified. And we see that Herod's not the only one. Interestingly enough, as verse 4 of Matthew chapter 2 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. In all Jerusalem with him. And this isn't speaking of every single person in Jerusalem, but I believe it means, and it's stress, it's specifically talking about the religious leaders of the Jews. This foreshadows the response that we see that, especially in the book of Matthew, but also in the other Gospels, we see the religious leaders reject Jesus. So we see, even from news of his birth, 
they were already terrified. They were already rejecting him. The religious leaders were not happy that a new king, the promised one who would set things right, was coming, who would change the way they did things, who would condemn them for their corrupt leadership and practice. Herod then begins his search. As we move on in our text, we have two searches going on, one with the wise men, one with Herod. And as I've already said, we see two completely different motives for searching out Jesus. Herod begins his search by going to the religious leaders. Look with me at verses 4 through 6. In assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod brings together the religious leaders to find out where exactly this king would be born, where exactly this king was located. And as you see in verse 4, the word Christ is mentioned there. The word Christ is very important. It shows that Herod realized that this was no ordinary human being. This was no ordinary king. This wasn't just a false claim or someone to get the throne by trickery, but this title, King of the Jews, the one whom the wise men had traveled hundreds of miles to see, was the one who had been promised hundreds of years before by the prophets of Israel. And many prophecies would have spoken of this promised deliverer, this King of the Jews, as Herod uses the word Christ to show this. We think of texts, and for sake of time I won't read them, but Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6, and then Ezekiel 37, 23 through 24, all speak about a person from the line of David coming and ruling and ultimately delivering the people. So this concept of a promised one or a deliverer or this Christ or Messiah was a very common thing understood by the people of Israel. And we see Herod understood this as well. This king of the Jews wasn't a false king, but this surely was the promised one through the history of Israel. The specific prophecy in our passage is from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And it reads, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So here the Christ, the King of the Jews, the promised deliverer, is said to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod has the location. He knows where the to find the king, a very important piece to his search. What would Herod do with this information? He was terrified at the news of a king, the deliverer of Israel appearing, and now he knows what town he is in. What will Herod do next? Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, as we move on in the text, says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. So what Herod does next is that he actually aligns the search parties. He gets together with the wise men, and he sends them off to look for the king in this location in Bethlehem. But then we see the search continues, and the wise men 
they go. As verse 8 says, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So Herod uses the wise men to go find the, ch the child, and he says that they are to let him know so that, they can so that he can worship the king too. And our ears should perk up when, when we read this as we think about Herod's earlier reaction. Herod had been terrified. He had been troubled. He had been in extreme distress. And now he's saying that he wants to worship this king. And as we'll see soon, Herod was ultimately tricking the wise men. He had no intentions of worshiping this king. Verses 9 through 10 read, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they, that they had seen when it rose and went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So once again, the star is used to guide and lead the wise men to the king. And they are brought to the place where the king of the Jews was. In verse 10, we get their reaction. And it's very important to see how the wise men respond or react to finding where the king of the Jews was. Their reaction was they were filled with great joy. It wasn't just a smile. It wasn't just a little happy. But they were extremely excited, overly glad, and delighted that they had made it to the king of the Jews that God had sovereignly guided them there. Verse 11 reads, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the wise men had traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles, many days and nights. They were willing to give up many treasures, certainly very costly items. They made the trek from a foreign nation, to a foreign nation not their own, to worship, to praise, to bring glory and honor to this king. They worshiped the baby Jesus. We may question, did they realize who exactly this was? Did they have a complete understanding of who laid in his mother's arms before them? We are not told, but their reaction to him is the focus. They worshiped him. They express an attitude of reverence, of submission, of praise to a baby, a baby who is king. The wise men had set forth on a journey in search of a king for the sole purpose to worship this king. We can see this was purely their intention as they rejoiced when they finally found him. Verse 12 closes the wise men's trek. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So we see the wise men, they had been commanded from Herod to bring back news of where exactly this king was. Where had the king of the Jews exactly been born so that Herod could worship them? Well, they get a dream and they are told not to go back to him to disobey the king's command, which certainly would have been a risk, and to find a different way home without going back to Herod. So the wise men end their search by finding the king and worshiping him Herod's search does not end anything like theirs. Look with me beginning at verse 13, and we'll read to verse 18 to see how Herod's search ends. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, and we'll see how Herod's search ends. It reads, 
Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So Herod kills all the male children under two years old, seeking to wipe them, wipe out the king of the Jews. And where does the age two come from? As verse 16 at the end says, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So back in verse 7, we had seen he brings the wise men together before he sends them off, and he asks them, when did this star appear? And we see all the way back then in verse 7, Herod was already planning his plot against the king of the Jews to murder him. So he wanted to know how old this king would possibly be. And we see from verses 13 through 18 that Herod's true intentions and motives for his search of the king of the Jews is revealed and they match his initial reaction of being terrified and extremely agitated at the news of the king. He sought to kill the king of the Jews. He rejected him. He wanted him off the scene so that he and he only could reign. He didn't want to be under his rule and authority, no matter who he was, no matter what the scriptures said about him, he wanted him dead. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Herod seemed to understand the scriptures that this king of the Jews was the promised deliverer, the Messiah or the Christ, as he asked the religious leaders where the Christ was to be born. This was God's plan all throughout the Old Testament to bring this promised deliverer, this king of the Jews, at this point in time, we see Herod seeks to stop God's plan. He seeks to eliminate the promised one, the king of the Jews. Herod's, Herod's search ends by revealing his true murderous intentions to reject and eliminate the king. He does not want him to rule. He does not want to give up his power. He is unwilling to submit to the reign of King Jesus, the king of the Jews. And it ends ultimately with Herod being unsuccessfully unsuccessful, he does not find Jesus because of God's sovereign provision. So as we come away from this story, we see both the searches, we see both the motives of the individuals who had searched for the king of the Jews, and we are left with the question, who are we in this story? Who are we within this story? As you consider Jesus, as we move into this Christmas season, as you think about your relationship with him, would you say that you are like the wise men who were filled with gladness or, and who submitted to and praised King Jesus? Or are you like Herod? You want absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. You have rejected his authority in your life. You do not live for him, but you live for yourself. You do not treasure his grace and his goodness in your life, but you would rather live the life you want to live. You may be even tricking others, acting like you care, 
acting like you have a relationship with Jesus, just like Herod sought to trick the wise men, faking like you care about Jesus and his ways when really you could care less. So are you the wise men or are you Herod? For the one who considers himself or themselves in the wise men's position, you have trusted in Jesus, you have placed your faith in him. I'd like to challenge you to continue to grow in your joy and worship of him this Christmas season. Spend time in his word, reading through these Christmas stories. Maybe you have grown apathetic and it just doesn't excite you anymore. Pray to God that he would bring an overwhelming sense of joy in this Christmas season as we reflect upon the Lord Jesus coming to this earth. Continue to seek to find joy in and worship Jesus. For the one who's sitting here realizing that you have been living like Herod, who have rejected the rule of Christ within your life, who have not been willing to submit to Christ, who have written off his goodness and his amazing attributes. May God use this Christmas season, may he use his word within your life to bring you to him, to realize that Jesus should be the king of your life, that you should desire to worship him and to praise him. So as we consider the very well-known Christmas story this morning, we are left to think about who we are within this story. The wise men rejoicing, excitedly submitting to and bringing praise and worship to this king, or Herod, who is stone cold and is willing to reject the rightful king as he knows so that he could continue to rule his life and others. Let us pray together. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to reflect upon your word this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the many familiar and well-known Christmas stories uh, that we've been taught uh, from many of us since we've been a child. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, really take these stories and seek to live them out, to seek the truth, to live out the truths in which you have placed within these Christmas stories. And Lord, we thank you for the account that we have of Jesus's life, for the truth of it, Lord, for the way in which you have allowed us to be able to know what had happened at Jesus' birth. And Lord, this is certainly a very joyous time. And Lord, I pray for any who are here that just, it's hard to get excited for these type of things. I pray that you would bring an overwhelming sense of joy. And for the one who really could care less, Lord, I pray that you would bring within their heart and their life a transformation that they might see the glory of Christ, Lord, and his blessings on our life. And Lord, I just pray that you would just use this time uh, within our lives as we celebrate Christmas, I pray that you would really bring us a sense of joy, help us to be glad in you, and Lord, we just thank you for your word, and Lord, for the truths within it. In your name I pray, amen.